This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon, and hello, Summer. Yeah, Liz, we're about there, uh, you know, and it's uh, good morning. It's uh, it's great to be with you this morning. And I think because we're getting ready for summer, we thought we would do a show today that was a little bit less serious in nature, have a little more fun. And we're going to talk about how the law portrayed in the entertainment industry is a little bit different from law in real life. Uh, you know, oftentimes, sadly, real law is less exciting. We don't resolve issues quite as quickly or quite as entertainingly, uh, except for tax law, of course, which is... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, you know, that's why you don't see a lot of tax law movies. I just don't think people can handle the intensity of it. But, no, but, it, you know, it's um, no, it's great to talk about this today. I think it's, you know, good for people to understand the difference between what they see in the media and how they'll actually experience the legal system if they, if they have to uh, engage with it. One thing that seems to always happen, and I guess it happens in the movies and the TV because otherwise their TV show would be 12 minutes long and the movie would be 14 minutes long. Everybody goes to trial. If there is a legal incident that I say this, you say that, it always then we're going to go before a judge and a judge adjudicates it. But is is that how it really happens? No, and in fact, really, only about 2% of uh, filed cases go to trial. Most are settled or dismissed. And, and really, then there, a lot of the law is done having nothing to do with trial. We have lawyers on talking about estate planning, for example, uh, contract law. You know, if you, if you do the documents right, if you do the transaction right, you know, we're going to have Terry, Terry Harper, uh, Terry Little, excuse me, is going to be on to talk about um, real estate uh, in June. Uh, you know, real estate closings, things like that. If they're done right, you you don't want to end up in court. I always tell my students that as a transactional lawyer, my job is to keep my clients out of court by making sure the documents uh, work. And so, you know, a lot a lot of the law has nothing to do with going to trial. And even those things that are uh, set up to go to trial because they're filed cases, uh, the American Bar Association has done studies where only about two percent actually end up in trial. Who dismisses a incident if something, you know, I know if you settle it, well, then maybe there's a mediator or you just come together and the two parties decide. But how is a case dismissed? Well, it could be the parties decide. One of the parties uh, decides not to uh, go forward with them. It can be dismissed because of that reason. But if it goes to the court, a court may say that, uh, for example, a person has filed uh, uh, a claim that for which there is no remedy, in which case uh, that uh, case would be dismissed. So a court could decide, a judge could decide. There's really no there there. Could be that the statute of limitations is run, uh, and so that the case was filed too late, and it's going to be dismissed for that reason. 
so there are a lot of different uh, reasons why a court would say procedurally this can't go forward. Uh, you know, it could be that uh, a party uh, is filing a case and they don't have standing to file that case. They, they really aren't the one that is the potentially injured party. You know, a lot of times with constitutional issues, standing is a really important thing. You know, not yet, just because I'm offended by something doesn't mean that I can file an action to stop it. I actually have to have something called legal standing. So, um, you know, there are a lot of reasons why a, a case would be dismissed. Lawyers then talk with their clients to try to make sure that they're filing a case that can go forward. Uh, and, um, and, you know, sometimes they end up in trial, but most often they don't. This morning, we're talking about what happens when Hollywood gets it wrong about court procedures and the law. You can always send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Have you ever wondered if trials are really like they are in the movies? Professor Gershon, another thing about uh, the, the movies and the TV is, you know, they always take about 30 minutes. And, you know, sometimes there's a few change close, close changes in there to show the passage of time. But do most trials take up an afternoon or take a day or two? Absolutely. It depends on the, it depends on the trial, too, because uh, tri criminal uh, cases, obviously, you know, uh, especially if they're capital murder or something like that, can take uh, much longer than that. Uh, you know, the trial is going to take as long as the trial needs. Uh, the judge is going to make sure that uh, each person gets to present the evidence they have that's relevant evidence that makes sense to their case. Uh, we want people to have their day in court. Uh, you know, movies and television shows need to wrap it up, and they need to make them entertaining and interesting. Uh, you know, the truth is, and I mentioned this earlier, they're not always that exciting. I remember the first case I sat second chair, and I was not a trial lawyer. And, and so, you know, I was really, as I mentioned, estate planning, and, and that really was my area in tax. But um, got to sit second chair on a, a, a construction case dealing with the uh, quality of cement that was put into a building, and uh, we were representing the person suing, saying that the you know, cement was not good enough. And the lead counsel turned to me right before the trial started, it was a jury trial, and he said, uh, juror number six will be asleep halfway through opening uh, statements, and, <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. So it was really, really a tedious and boring case. You're talking about a lot of evidence presented about the quality of um, cement, but it was important to the parties, but it wasn't something that would have played well in the movies or on TV. Ooh, unless there was some way to have blackmailed Juror 3, or Juror 3 was a plant for uh, the, some side, and he was trying to get a mistrial. Oh, anyway, I could spin a good story about that. <laughs> You know, it's interesting about that, because I, I don't think this would have been one of those cases where anybody would have been that interested to, <laughs> to try to bribe the jurors. I mean, you know, it was, uh, you know, and the, the other thing I think that the, about trial that people don't see is all the stuff that has to take place before a case even goes to trial. It's months in preparation and and evidence, you know, sometimes in, in, on TV or in movies, there's the surprise witness comes in or the surprise evidence shows up. And that really doesn't happen. We, we Our discovery system and the rules of evidence and the rules of procedure and discovery that, we, that lawyers have to abide by um, and the courts abide by, we want people 
uh, lawyers and, and the parties to have the information ahead of time so that they can prepare and not be surprised by evidence. So a lot of young lawyers find that they spend most of their time, if they're, if they're working in a firm that does trial, doing discovery, uh, doing uh, uh, things, you know, having uh, talking to witnesses ahead of time. Uh, and, and getting their statements uh, as much as possible ahead of time. Uh, and so, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of the work before trial. So you don't see that on movies. Well, you talk about all of the work that's done before a trial. What about after a trial, after the final gavel rings? Then what happens? Well, I think, you know, in the movies, it's all wrapped up, right? You know, they'll say uh, the defendant is not guilty and everybody's excited and they let the defendant go. But, you know, the fact is, even in that case, there has to be some processing that takes place for that defendant uh, to, you know, finish up uh, and let them actually be free. Uh, it's not like they just walk out of the courtroom and that's it. Uh, the other thing is from a, a civil perspective, again, that, you know, that contract case that I was talking about, um, we want a verdict for a, a, a certain amount. Of course, the client was not happy because he wanted more. And then the other party said, hey, well, you know, we're, we plan to appeal, but we're willing to uh, to settle. And they paid, you know, a percentage of that, uh, that jury verdict. And we decided with our client that it was better to go ahead and just take that as opposed to have that have the cost of appeal and the time that would take to appeal because the other party can appeal that decision. Uh, and that takes time as well. So, yeah, it's not like uh, it's not like that's over with criminal cases. Then there are post uh, there are post conviction remedies that the uh, that the defendant has the right to to raise. So, you know, it can be an ongoing process before we actually get finality. I'm going to be checking the emails. So if you've got a question about what you've seen on TV or the movies for a trial, send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We are discussing movies that may be exciting and fun, but they're not what you should base your legal knowledge on. What does Ranker think the best 10 legal TV shows are? I'll tell you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is in legal terms. Now, not everybody has the chance to listen to our show live, so if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on our website, 
inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Now, if you have puttered around in the Internet, you may have come upon Ranker. Jay White, you're an Internet kind of guy. Ranker is usually a list of something that you can vote one of the items (laughs) up or down, depending on what you think about it. Have you seen Ranker online? Yes. There's a Ranker list for just about everything. Everything in the whole wide world. Yeah. So this hilariously is called the list of the best legal drama TV shows ever. 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 And they have 50 on their list. Professor Gershon, they There's been 50 of those shows. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I think the first 10 have all come out during the pandemic. No. Uh, (laughs) Number one they have is Suits. Maybe they just like that one because Meghan Markle was on it. That was the USA show, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Number two is uh, The Good Wife. And then number three, How to Get Away with Murder, Boston Legal, The Good Fight, which is the spinoff or the continuation of The Good Wife after it went to online only, Better Call Saul, Law & Order, The Practice, Law and Order Special Victims Unit, or I like to say SUV instead of SVU because I get that mixed up, and Bones. So no Law and Order, no Perry Mason, or a Rumpole of the Bailey if you're an old PBS fan. Uh, Professor Gershon, do you have a uh, favorite whether or not they get it right or not, do you have a favorite TV legal show? I do, and, it, and actually, it's none of those. I mean, uh, although I, Better Call Saul is a great show, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't hire Saul as my lawyer necessarily, uh, you know, generally speaking. But, um, yeah, mine is actually Daredevil, a uh, Netflix uh, TV uh, show. I'm, I'm a Marvel uh, superhero fan, as my students all know, because I drive them crazy with that. But, um, yeah, Daredevil is uh, one of the members of the Marvel Universe and uh, on Netflix, and he is a lawyer, and he also is a vigilante. Um, and he gets it right sometimes, but mostly, you know, a lot of times he gets it wrong. So I watch it for entertainment. I like the fact that he's a lawyer, um, but probably not a good idea that then uh, you go out and put a mask on and, and beat people up at night if you're a lawyer. Uh, even if they're bad guys. So tell us about one of the episodes on uh, Daredevil where they just got it wrong. Well, there are a couple of one. You know, I, I had in the uh, in the talking points I said, and but let me let me pick, pick on another one real quick because um, Daredevil uh, is uh, got a, a uh, one of his clients is somebody called the Punisher, another Marvel character, um, and they they bring the Punisher in to the courtroom in chains. Um, and Daredevil's representing him, and no lawyer's going to let their client come into the courtroom in chains because that is going to really bias the jury. You know, can you imagine a jury sitting there and seeing that person in chains, and they got to think that person's dangerous? And in fact, uh, the courts have said you can't require that defendant to be bound up like that. So I was kind of upset that Daredevil didn't object to that client being held in chains. Obviously, it was for dramatic effect. So that was one. 
The other one is where Daredevil represents a, a client on a, a self-defense claim. And I think he did a really good job on that aspect of it. Now, the guy clearly killed someone, but, but it was up to the prosecutor to prove that it was intentional and not something that was a matter of self-defense because self-defense would then uh, allow that person to uh, be found not guilty. And that's what happened. Um, but that night, because Daredevil doesn't think the guy's a good guy and he wants information from him, Daredevil puts on the mask after he defends him and, and beats the crap out of the guy. And I think that's probably not really ethical. So that bothered me a little bit, you know, uh, that that's really not how you should treat your clients, whether they're good or bad people. That's up for the legal system ultimately decide. And, and as Daredevil says that uh, he may be uh, in for a judging beyond the legal system after he dies. Uh, but, you know, so those are two situations where I think, you know, the reality was way different from what really happens. Yeah, our friends at the Mississippi Bar Association would uh, not suggest that their lawyers in Mississippi go beat folks up if their client, <laughs> if they felt their client didn't get justly punished. Absolutely. Great show, though. I, I mean, I highly <laughs> recommend it. I mean, so great entertainment. And, you know, I, I, we always say uh, we, we don't give direct legal advice to people on the show. I would not take my legal advice from any of the shows you listed or from Daredevil or the movies we're going to talk about in this segment. Well, we, you know, we talk a little bit about ethics. Ethics, I guess, is, is something that you can humanize an individual and show maybe that a lawyer is human and can do things wrong. So, you know, talk about uh, in, in pretrial, what are some of the ethics considerations for that? Well, one of the important things is pretrial publicity. And you see a lot of times in movies and TV that, you know, the prosecutor will make bold statements about what, you know, how, what they're going to do or, how they're going to uh, convict this person or whatever. And it, it really, there are ethics uh, in terms of pretrial publicity. There, there are actually limits about what you can say about a case that is about to happen. We don't want cases tried in the media. And, and, we, and you know, and the, the news outlets themselves can say what they want about cases, but lawyers that are involved in the case are really not supposed to talk about the specifics. That, that should happen in trial. So a prosecutor shouldn't say we're gonna we're gonna you know hang this so and so. I mean that is totally inappropriate, um, and yet you see it in movies sometimes where the prosecutor makes those kind of statements. Um, and uh, so it, you know, we we are very limited in in our discussion uh, pre-trial. The other thing is just the ethics throughout the trial uh, are important. Um, confidentiality, you know, who you can talk to about your client's information, really, um, and and uh, things like conflicts of interest that seem to happen a lot more in movies that could not uh, really take place in a in a real setting in the law. And so, you know, you think about what actually happens. I mean, if you really wanted to show the law as it's happening, you'd show a lot of depositions, a lot of uh, interrogatories, a lot of discovery, and not a lot of trial, a lot of research. And then you'd also show lawyers really thinking about, yeah, what I'd, I'd like to be able to take some shortcuts, but the fact is the ethics rules prevent me from doing it. And so, you know, better call Saul, great show, but not always following the rules of ethics. Our show today is called Don't Get Your Legal Advice from the Movies. <laughs> so, or, or what Hollywood gets wrong about the law. 
Professor Gershon, you and I will probably uh, date ourselves some. Uh, for the kiddos who are listening, they may not be familiar with some of the movies that we might be listening, but give us some examples with uh, the movie Body Heat with uh, William Hurt and Kathleen Turner. That was a big one in the day. It was, and it was great. A great movie. Yeah, uh, And I think most people, when I tell them what was wrong legally about it, especially what became even worse in, in the next few years about it, in terms of the law behind it and, and the whole plot line behind uh, you know that law, um, they'll probably say, so what? In fact, I was talking to my wife about it, and she said, oh, but all I remember was it was really steamy and a great movie, you know, a really good movie. And I think that's probably what most people remember. But um, the whole plot line is based on the fact that um, Kathleen Turner uh, is is married, and, and William Hurd is this lawyer, and I always took great uh, happiness in the fact that he was had had some ethical problems and, and uh was down on his luck a little bit because I went to the University of Florida for one of my degrees, and he was a Florida State graduate in the movie, and I always always enjoyed that fact. Um, but he uh, falls in love with Kathleen Turner. She seduces him, and, and they fall in love, and she convinces him that he should be involved in a plot to kill her husband. And, and the thing about it um, that gets interesting legally is she convinces her husband to make a new will to give everything to charity. So it seems like, you know, her motive in killing him certainly is not about the money. There's no, you know, there's no reason why she would kill him for his money because she's convinced him recently to give everything to charity. And uh, William Hurt does, in fact, kill her husband. And, but it turns out that in 1981, under the Florida Mortmain statute, I'm talking about obscure. Um, if you gave property to charity in a will 90 days before death, uh, that gift was void. And the reason back then was they were worried that charities would take advantage of people. You know, for example, you know, a charitable organization may say, you know, you really, you, you're getting ready to die. You should do something good so you can redeem yourself before death. Um, and, you know, shortly after this movie, uh, Mortmain statutes were challenged and actually found to be unconstitutional, and so there is no more Mortmain statute. But in this particular movie, Kathleen Turner inherits everything because she had convinced her husband to give everything to charity. That gift is void because he did it within a short time before his death, which she helped to cause, and uh, and uh, she ends up inheriting everything, and poor William Hurt takes the fall for this this death so a great movie interesting movie sorry you know spoiler alert but if you're spoiler if there's spoiler alerts for a 1981 movie <laughs> uh you know i'm sorry about that um so that's one and then there were other legal things in there along the way that i just went oh man you know that was not right but there are other movies i think that are more obvious mistakes and and things that are um you know, just bothersome because they're they're part of the whole plot and they're kind of dumb. And one, I think a lot of people have probably heard of the movie What Happens in Vegas. I don't know if you've seen that one, Liz, or not. I'm I I'm not really a big Ashton Kutcher, Cameron Diaz fan. I think I I somehow missed that memo. Well, you know, it's it's okay. Um, you didn't miss anything great, really. Um, but, you know, Ashton Kutcher and, and Cameron Diaz go to Las Vegas. They get drunk. 
Uh, they get into a quickie marriage, you know, and, and they're trying to decide what to do about it. And Ashton Kutcher takes a quarter, one of Cameron Diaz's quarters, puts in a slot machine and, of course, wins $3 million because that also always happens. <laughs> uh, and, and so now she wants to stay married because she wants her share of the $3 million. I mean, the, the truth is, you know, these drunk Vegas weddings where people have these things, oh, now I'm stuck, I'm married, they're easy to get annulled. You know, it's like it's really not an issue at all, and they could have easily had it annulled. And of course, the whole plot resolves around the fact that 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 they're married, and and so, um, you know, that one's from a legal perspective always bothers me because it's so obviously should not have been a big deal. Uh, Interesting, you know, not worth not worth why it's not wouldn't be in my top ten list of lawyer movies for sure. But it's it's good to know what they do wrong because hopefully folks don't spend a lot of time in courthouses unless you show up for jury duty which i highly recommend everyone do when they get their call so they can participate in our american legal system most folks don't have any exposure to the legal system so movies and tv are how we form our our culture, our thought, our reality of what it is. And it's it's a shame when they do get it wrong and it might bias how you live. Hopefully there aren't a lot of people who got drunk and had quickie Las Vegas weddings that then were miserable for the next 50 years because they thought there was no way out of their wedding. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's probably the best practice. <laughs> um, but uh, is not to get drunk and then have a quickie wedding, you know. Uh, but, you know, um, anyway, so it makes for interesting entertainment um, and comedy. But, um, you know, from a legal perspective, it was thin at best. Email us your questions anytime. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Don't believe everything you see in the movies. Sometimes it is very wrong. What are the best lawyer movies of all time? I'll tell you what one website thinks next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast. Lots of different podcasting platforms out there. I happen to use Podcast Addict. I don't have an Apple device, which already has a podcast loaded 
platform loaded up to it. But uh, I can t- touch a plus that takes me to look to a place to look for podcasts. I then typed in in legal terms in the search area, brought up in legal terms, and was able to touch the photo and subscribe, and I'm notified when any new episodes are loaded up. This morning, we're talking about what Hollywood gets wrong about legal movies and TV shows. Okay, Jay White, here we go. The 25 best lawyer movies of all time... Of all time. Now, this is according to BigLawInvestor.com. And I just Uh-oh. I just picked a lot of these, either both of these websites, because they were, they happened to have these lists within the last month. So, okay. All right. But here we go. Number one, and this is a good one. These are, I, I, I agree more with this list than with the TV show <laughs> list. My Cousin Vinny. Professor Gershon, do you like My Cousin Vinny? My Cousin Vinny is an interesting one. <laughs> he has no comment okay. on My Cousin Vinny. How about uh, 12 Angry Men? That's always a good one. Anatomy of a Murder. The I think that's a, uh, I don't know if that's an Alfred Hitchcock one or not. The Lincoln Lawyer. Witness for the Prosecution. Legally Blonde, which is one we're going to get to in just a little bit. Philadelphia. Aaron Brockovich. The Verdict, and Presumed Innocent. So these are a number of ones that folks could check out according to BigLawInvestor.com. Now, we're not saying these are all right with the law. In fact, we're going to talk about Legally Blonde in a minute. Did you say the firm was in there? I did not not say the firm was in there. That's not in there? there? Or the Pelican Brief? Anything like that? Wow. Okay. Maybe they don't. Are these? These all seem to be ones with courtroom situations. Yeah. The firm is good uh, and certainly speaks to lawyer ethics. <laughs> certainly does. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think it has any courtroom scenes in it. All right, Professor Gershon, do you have a favorite uh, lawyer movie that you like to watch? You know, I uh, I I love uh, Anatomy of a Murder. I really do. I think that's a great old movies, some of the, you know, the older ones especially. Um, and uh, To Kill a Mockingbird is really, while it's not a particularly all about the courtroom, the courtroom scenes are pretty amazing. And I think that's probably my, my favorite of the actual courtroom scenes. Excellent. One of my favorite movies, uh, I didn't see it on here, is Class Action. It's a Gene Hackman, a Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, and it's got a good gotcha at the end. Oops, I hope I don't didn't spoil a 30-year-old movie for somebody. <laughs> Let's go to Craig and Biloxi. Craig, thanks for calling in today. Uh, what's your comment or question about what Hollywood gets wrong about the movies? Yeah, well, I don't know if the OJ trial is is on TV. It was certainly watched a lot. It should be a movie. But uh, Basic Instinct with Sharon Stone, I thought was a pretty good one. There you go. Did it? Did it? Did that one have any any trials in it, or was it uh, more depositions or? Legalese. Uh, it, it had some trials. I had the basic one and the basic two, uh, and it had some legal stuff. And and uh, it, it was a lot of drama because it's a movie, but uh, it had some courtroom things. 
Thanks so much for calling in, Craig. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it is a great movie, and it's also one of those very steamy movies written a lot about, you know, if there's a legal problem in, in Basic Instinct, it's just the use of the word alibi. They keep using the word alibi wrongly, but that, you know, that is a such a small, small point. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, because they, they argue that uh, Sharon Stone was a, an author uh, in that movie and she, that she would not have committed a crime similar to the one that um, – that she wrote about, and they try to say that's an alibi, which is really not true. Interesting. Sharon Stone is actually married to a fraternity brother of mine, so that's always a great trivia question as well. Ooh, all right. We're, now we're, we're two degrees away from, uh, or I guess three degrees away from Sharon Stone now. Well, so one of the movies on it was Legally Blonde, and at the end of it, you know, that she, that's got a great judge, a great character actress, and uh, she tells him to take those bad guys into to custody because the the pool boy Ooh, i just gave it away man we're giving away all the spoilers the pool boy did it um or the the the, the pool boy gave the bad out gave a testified incorrectly about the uh the daughter so what about judges can judges just say take them into custody not that way, no. And in fact, you know, that was just basically those people are entitled to a day in court as well. Uh, you know, you don't have to start just because that person, it turns out, was uh, it found out in court to have done it. Then you still have to, to they go through a trial. They're going to be allowed to have a lawyer. You can't just throw them in jail. You can. Uh, um, there are times when a judge can hold someone in contempt and require that they be uh, held in contempt. You know, sometimes that happens, unfortunately, with reporters who, uh, when they are told to give their sources and the reporter refused to give their source, of course, the judge will say, then I'm going to hold you in contempt till you give your source. Um, you know, so there are ways that judges can uh, have someone held, but they can't just throw the whole courtroom in jail and start handing out sentences. That's not how our system works, thankfully, because we have to have a process. Right, right. So one of the things, uh, another fun movie is Liar, Liar. Uh, any, I'm a, I do like some Jim Carrey movies. And, you know, this one was a, a funny one. And he, he, aside from the fact that he has to tell the truth, there was, in the courtroom scene, it was about a lady who lied about her age so she could get married. So here we go, another another are you married are you not married kind of legal question what did liar liar get wrong about that well and that was that was as much about her than signing a contract that was a, a premarital antinuptial contract that would limit the amount she would get in a divorce and she's filing a divorce against her husband she uh was only 17 when she signed the contract and jim carrey uh, is able to show that, and voila, we have the uh, instant resolution of the problem is that she is not bound by the prenuptial agreement because Jim Carrey would argue she was 17, So, and, uh, and we know that only adults can sign contracts. Well, that, that's true to an extent, but that contract is voidable and not void, and there's a big distinction in the law between something that's voidable and void. Uh, the way that uh, movie portrayed it was that the contract was void and therefore she automatically won. Uh, that is not necessarily true. And uh, that contract could, in fact, become valid. So there was, you know, as is the, always the case, there's a lot more to it 
than the simple solution. And I think people want simple solutions. Movies and TV shows about law give simple solutions. But unfortunately, quite often, the law is much more complicated than that because people are complicated and the solutions are not quite that cut and dry. Yeah, whenever we have lawyers on our show and a caller, a listener calls in and asks a question, what the law is in a situation, our lawyer friend always says it depends. <laughs> and that's right. And that's good because we, we you know, I, I, I think, but just because uh, something applied to someone else's situation doesn't mean it necessarily applies automatically uh, to your situation because your situation is factually different. And that's, uh, and that's why Google should not, your Google search does not trump a lawyer's law degree. That's right. I mean, and that really goes back to something I said earlier, which is the amount of research and time spent preparing for a trial or preparing to do a document for a client to make sure you get it right is what movies and TV shows don't show. But that's where the real work is done. Uh, you know, the trial is important and uh, trial lawyers do, do great work, those that do trial. But most of the lawyers are, are really not involved in, in trial all, uh, most of their uh, time, and most of the time is in preparation. Let's go to the phones. We've got Terry and Lacey who are called in. Terry from Tupelo, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question about what Hollywood gets wrong on the legal system? So I might be pushing the envelope a little bit here, but a few good men. Uh, I'd like to hear the difference. I don't know if any of you guys have been in military law, but the difference between a military tribunal and a general court uh, you know, situation with with uh, civilians. Well, that's a, that's a great question. Thank you for that question. I, you know, I, I there is a code of military uh, justice and and uh, a court of military justice, a code of military conduct um, that. Um, People who, uh, some of our my former students have become uh, officers in the Judge Advocate General's office, and they could give you a better answer than I could about that, and, and especially about um, about that particular movie. Great movie. You know, again, interesting, but I bet they would tell you that's really not what happens in, in a military court. Um, and so, yeah, they do have their own, uh, their own rules, although... Uh, for the most part, are similar to to the rules that apply uh, in terms of evidence and, and things like that. That uh, you know, in a criminal court. Um, so, a great question. I wish I could was a military law expert, but maybe we should have one on. Uh, that is interesting. Someone from the Judge Advocate General's office, or JAG, another show that they didn't put on as a uh, one of the the best TV shows that was on for quite a while and in reruns. I don't, you know, I guess I don't know if it was on network for very long. But didn't it have Gerald McCraney in it? Maybe for a little bit. I don't know. Am I, just, I, am I putting him on from another show? I just remember that guy who's been in a bunch of things and that girl who's on a yeah a witch movie on Hallmark Channel now. I don't know. <laughs> That's my problem. It's got the guy who was in the thing with the other guy. That's the guy in the place with the thing? Yes, that that's who was in that I've movie. Never been to Belize. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take one more call before our break. Let's go to Lacey. Lacey, thanks for calling in on our Hollywood movie legal show show. What's your comment or question? Uh yes, hon. I've got a question. Uh I wanted to know how accurate 
the movies were Lincoln Lawyer and uh, Primal Fear were in their court proceedings? You, you know, that's a good, really good question. And uh, there, there, there are things they get right. You know, there are. I mean, uh, and they have lawyer consultants so that they can at least, you know, be in the right ballpark on those uh, on those uh, portrayals. But they're dramatized, they're shortened, they, you know, you don't really get to see the actual uh, process that takes place. You know, they're, they're, they're there to entertain those, those movies, those, you know, and the novels that they're based on, if they are based on novels. Um, and, you know, I think what I, what I appreciate about, say, for example, John Grisham's novels is he comes from the perspective of having practiced law, and he comes from the perspective of understanding how the process works. He's still writing to entertain us, you know, and so there, there is some license there uh, in, in his writing. But that's, that's really real close. Uh, Scott Turo was a, uh, a prosecutor and, uh, and, a, and you know, practiced and wrote novels, uh, and some of his are also uh, really compelling and, and pretty close. I think books get it more right, frankly, than movies and TV because books have more time to develop uh, some of the, the actual legal process. And so the problem I have with any of the movies is they're shortcuts. They take shortcuts and they, you know, they, they don't have days to watch. Nobody's going to watch a movie for days. You're going to want it, you want it to be resolved and you want it to be resolved kind of cleanly and neatly within the plot. And I would say that would be my, my statement about those, those movies as well. So there are things they get right uh, about the system, but never completely. Thank you so much, Lacey, for calling in. What have you seen in the movies that you wonder, is that right? Hey, if you're a movie buff, I've got a podcast to recommend for you. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law at 11 a.m. Central Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. 
We're having some fun talking about what the movies and TV get wrong about the law, kind of mentioning some of our favorite TV and movie dramas. But I want to let you know, if you're a movie buff, Autocorrect did a show about our favorite car movies. So look for the October 3rd, 2019 podcast for Autocorrect or go to the Autocorrect website, autocorrect.mpbonline.org. Let's go to Sam in Saltillo and hear what have you got to say about what the, the movies get wrong or what you like about law movies or law TV shows, Sam? Well, I like a lot of the old movies, like especially Anatomy of a Murder. I wasn't going to call, but, you know, the prosecution, I mean, your previous caller opened the door, um, a court-martial movie. Um, the Kane Mutiny, Humphrey Bogart, Van Johnson, Jose Ferrer, um, for people that don't do black and white, it's in color. It's an older movie, but it's absolutely a great movie. And the court martial at the end of the movie is just absolutely fantastic. If you hadn't seen it, watch it. All right, we, uh, Professor Gershon, we've got a whole nother genre of uh, law to talk about soon. We should get to the uh, military courts. You should, and I agree with the caller. Came Mutiny is a great book and a great movie. I mean, really both, uh, and uh, well worth watching. Humphrey Bogart. Uh, movie, uh, if you like, if you're a fan of Humphrey Bogart, uh, really fantastic, uh, great movie, well worth watching. Did Mel Gibson remake that? You know, I don't know. I think somebody did. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. All right, let's uh, let's talk about Batman. <laughs> And, and vigilantes in general, as much as I love them, and, you know, I am a fan of the Marvel Universe, but every once in a while I'll watch something from D.C. And uh, the D.C. Universe, Batman, has, uh, you know, got some good good entries as well. But the problem is that really police and uh, and cities would not engage vigilantes to do their work for them. Uh, but quite often, Commissioner Gordon and the city of Gotham will, will ask Batman to do stuff they could not otherwise do. A uh, famous scene where Batman, uh, there's a, a criminal they want to bring back to testify, but he lives in another country. And, uh, and so the police know they can't go just go after him and kidnap this guy and bring him back to testify. And they ask Batman to do it. Um, and so uh, he does. And he brings the person back, and the person testifies, and that all, that's all well and good. But the fact is, Batman would be considered as acting on behalf of the police, and, and a court would throw that out quickly because you're not allowed to do that. I mean, you, you know, the, the police couldn't do it without a warrant. The police have to act within their, their jurisdiction and their territory. And so sending the vigilante out to do it while a, an interesting and exciting, you know, thrilling thing to do in the movies would not happen in real life. So, uh, you know, go ahead, Liz. I'm sorry. Well, I, I don't know. I, I'm scared to start talking about vigilantes. <laughs> let, let, let one last thing before we go. And now the uh, A Few Good Men and Legally Blonde do talk about a team. They are both shows that do show a legal team working together to uh, to help uh, talk about, uh, you know, is it a one-man show for a lot of the movies? That's how it seems. 
No, no, not at all. So it is a group project. There are a lot of people that work on uh, preparation for trial. You know, there may be there's a lead counsel that's going to be the lead trial counsel, but that's you know they're, they're paralegals and other people who are doing research that are really important to the process and uh, you know and uh, other lawyers who are involved. I mean, you know, it is a it's not a one person thing. Um, but a lot of men and women get involved in uh, in the process and uh, and to try to get to the right the right outcome for their client. And it's not just lawyers; it's uh, paralegals. Or I even had a friend of mine who was a lawyer, but I lived in a city where, and he asked me to go to the courthouse to photocopy some stuff. So it 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 takes. It takes a village. It takes a whole group of people to uh, mount a defense. But don't believe everything you see on TV and everything that you see in the movies. Well, this has been a fun show today, Professor Gershon. Thank you so much. And Jay White has something to contribute. I just say this this show would not be complete if no one mentioned the sitcom Night Court. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That one's a good one, too. (laughs) With magic tricks. (laughs) A judge that does magic. Tricks. Thanks, Professor Gershon. Thank you for suggesting this, and we've had some fun today. Thank you, Jay White, and thank you, Java Chapman, for helping to make our show complete. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.